Well, good morning. Whoa. Guys, what a welcome. Good morning, everyone. Um, so great to see you all. Um, let me add my welcome to Riches. Um, it's great to be with you as ever this Sunday. And um, as you will know, if you've been here over the last few weeks, we're in a teaching series called Blessed. And we're exploring the Beatitudes, so these eight statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's painting this vision for what life in the kingdom of God is going to be, is and is going to be all about. And it's these invitations, but also these challenges, isn't it? We've been looking at this, about how we can know God and how we can become fully human. And I've been loving it. Well, I don't know about you, but it's been such a rich series. There's something so incredibly deep about sort of digging into each verse one by one. Um, so I hope you've been loving it too. And um, yeah, so today we're looking at the fourth beatitude, which is this, this beatitude that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, absolute cracker of a verse. And I reckon I get to do the really fun one because I get to talk about food. So um, this morning, um, if my handy assistant, I gave Rich one job, which was to bring it up and he forgot. Here we go. Thank you very much for serving us in that way this morning. So my aim this morning, guys, is to make us all really hungry. Are you up for that? And so underneath my tea towel, I have... Oh, that was a close one. I have treats, guys. It's not just kids' church who are going to have fun this morning. And so... I need some volunteers. Oh, Dan, how did I know that you were going to be so keen? Come on out and choose one of these tasty treats that's making you hungry this morning. Dan's going for a chocolate cookie. What do you say? Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Please go and sit down. Would anyone else like... Oh, Naomi, come on down. There are treats galore this morning. I'm so sorry if you're online. Please don't go to the kitchen right now and grab yourself a treat. Help yourself. What you, oh, all the chocolate cookies have gone, guys. Who's up for donuts? Is anyone into donuts? I had a yes over here. Here we go. And there's one left. Is anyone hungry for a donut? Robin. No. Oh, Sarah Kelsey. Seeing as it's your last Sunday, let's, let's let you have the last donut. Better than that bag of gifts we gave you. There we go. So I hope you're now feeling really hungry. There's a slide, actually, if we go through to make the rest of you um, really ravenous this morning. So I hope your juices are really flowing. I hope you're feeling really hungry. And... I wonder what it is for you when you think about physical hunger. What is it that does it for you? Maybe it's donuts or cookies. Maybe you're a chocolate person. Maybe you can't resist a drink on a Friday night. Maybe it's a big bowl of ice cream. Whatever it is for you. 
I don't know about you, but I think I would say yes to all of the above. I'd quite happily say yes to any of the treats we've seen this morning or any of the ones I've mentioned. But um, one of the things that we absolutely loved during the pandemic was um, making fresh sourdough bread which I know is a massive cliche because that's what everyone started doing. But we joined the throng and also made sourdough bread, which is something that's carried on. And for us as a family, when we smell that bread cooking in the kitchen, we, the hunger just starts flowing. And before we know it, that bread comes out of the oven and the whole thing has disappeared in no time. And so food and drink are great. I'm a big fan, as I'm sure you are. And of course, God gives us food and drink as a gift, doesn't he? A gift for us to enjoy, as well as to nourish us and to sustain our very life. And so in this Beatitudes, Jesus is using these everyday physical experiences of hunger and thirst to help us understand the way that we're to deeply long for the things of God. In the book of Psalms, so Psalm 63, if you want to turn to it, otherwise I think it'll come up on screen, we see David linking his experience of physical thirst in the desert to his spiritual desperation for God. So Psalm 63, if you haven't got it open, says... You, God, oh my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And he's speaking these words from the wilderness of Judah. And many people, many commentators think that it's also during a time when he was being physically pursued by King Saul, who was trying to kill him, basically. And in this moment, as he prays these words, he has little else but God. He relies wholly on him. And his words, as we've just read, suggest that his spiritual hunger for God is so great that his physical body is in a state of longing. It says, my whole being longs for you. It's this physical longing. And it's almost like, as you read, you can't tell where his physical thirst ends and his spiritual thirst begins. The two are intricately combined. And so there is a massive overlap for us between our spiritual and our physical longings. And I find it really interesting that Jesus speaks these words and teaches the Beatitudes just after, of course, he spent 40 days in the wilderness where he's chosen to fast, to, to eat no food. And during this time, of course, he's been tempted, hasn't he, by the devil as he's been in this place of, of physical weakness. And so as he, he teaches these words and says, blessed are those who hunger or thirst, thunk, hunger and thirst for righteousness, he knows what it is to feel hungry and thirsty physically. And it means that he can speak these words with absolute authority because he's speaking from the experience of being physically hungry when he says that true satisfaction 
comes from pursuing the things of God. So again, though, we see this, this connection between physical and spiritual hunger. And in Jesus' case, it's that he's denied himself physically in order to strengthen himself spiritually. But again, there's this connection. And so we see in David's life and in Jesus' life, and as we even see in kind of recent studies that link depression to things like obesity, there's this connection over and over again between our physical hungers and our spiritual hungers. They're intricately interwoven. And as I was pondering it, I was thinking it's almost like our hunger is, is an intersection between our very human nature but our very spiritual nature. And I think for that reason, our hungers can be a bit of a battleground. So I wonder, where are your physical hungers impacting your spiritual hungers? When you're feeling anxious or lonely or afraid, maybe when you're feeling out of control or empty in any other way, what are the ways that you're instinctively reaching out to the world to fill that hunger? Maybe it's food, maybe it's drink, maybe it's social media, maybe it's the next item of clothing, or maybe it's finding success through your work. But when we hunger for that donut or whatever else it might be, is it physical emptiness or is it spiritual emptiness that's driving us? For me, I know that if I'm feeling hurt or lonely or anxious, I can sometimes find myself scrolling through social media mindlessly, almost kind of subconsciously waiting for that dopamine hit or, or looking for something that's just going to make me feel better and fill me up. Or sometimes it's chocolate or Netflix, and I'm just looking for something that's going to numb myself to the pain and the emptiness. But as we know, really, when we think about it, these different ways of consuming, of attempting to fill the emptiness... Of course, they don't actually satisfy, do they? So whatever it is for you, whatever's coming to mind, there's no doubt that as long as we are human, we're going to wrestle with our appetites. It's going to be an ongoing thing. And we're living in a world today, aren't we, that is competing for our appetites. There's a battle over them. Many of you will have heard of the attention economy and having our attention, gaining our attention is huge business. It's worth millions and millions of pounds. Companies want to grab our attention and basically make us focus on ourselves and tell us what we need. Complex algorithms are used to, to make us look at ourselves and, and to grab our attention. And so as we think about our Beatitudes again, we're reminded that hungering and thirsting, having an appetite is good. It's good to hunger and thirst. 
But the question is, what are we looking towards in order to be filled? So the world says that if you consume this food, look at this image, buy this product, whatever it is, then you will be filled. But the Bible tells us that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then we will be filled. So we basically will find satisfaction when we choose to empty ourselves, to deny ourselves. It's the opposite to what the world tells us to do. And so let's dig a little bit deeper into what Jesus is telling us in this that we should be hungering and thirsting for, which is this word righteousness. And it's, it's a good word, but it's not really the sort of word that we use very often, is it? Um, it doesn't come up in our world um, too often. I don't often say to Rich, hey, Rich, can you, can you just be a bit more righteous? <laughs> I mean, maybe I should start adopting it. I don't know. But it's not really a kind of a commonplace word, is it? So what exactly does Jesus mean when he uses this word righteousness? And in essence, biblical righteousness is about right relationship. So it's these three levels of right relationship. It's right relationship with God. It's right relationship with each other. And it's right relationship with the world. So that's what righteousness is. And um, quite a few translations will talk about righteousness and justice. And, and some translations will even use the words justice. So the NLT talks about justice instead of righteousness. And so when we read this word, we can read that Jesus is talking about both. It's a justice and righteousness together. It's two roots of the word. And so in essence, Jesus is inviting us to hunger and thirst for the world and humanity to be restored to the way it was always meant to be and to the way it will one day be again. And this looks like this is what it will one day be, perfect intimacy with God. Human beings will get on all the time. There'll be no more wars. Families won't fall out. And there will be perfect justice in the world. No more rich and poor. No more people being exploited for their value. And the climate will be restored. But until that day, we're to be captivated by that vision. And we're to hunger and thirst for that vision to become a reality in the here and now. So living a life of righteousness looks like saying yes to project restoration. It's us being restored and becoming fully human so that we can join in with God's project to restore the whole of creation. But also, here's the great thing, as we join in with restoring the world, we also become more fully human. It's a cyclical thing. So 
I love the story of Peggy and Christine Smith, who many of you will have heard me talk about before because I love these, these women who were in their 80s living on the Hebridean Islands about 70 years ago. And their hunger for righteousness caused them to cry out in prayer day and night. They cried out that God's spirit would be poured out on our land. And one day, God's tangible presence, his Holy Spirit, was poured out on that island. And one of the accounts I was reading of the revival talks about how, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, a hunger and thirst gripped people across the island, whether they were churchgoers or not, as the Holy Spirit was poured out So Peggy and Christine's hunger for righteousness became a whole community's hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as people became right with God, there were reports of peace in the community and of police stations being emptied out. And I love the example of Martin Luther King, an absolute hero, who was an American Baptist minister in the mid-20th century. And his faith and his hunger and thirst for righteousness led him to become one of the most prominent leaders in the American civil rights movement, and which of course led to equal rights um, legislation and this, uh, this equality that he was seeking. And so, as many of you will know, he famously stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and told the crowd that he had a dream, that one day all people would be equal, black and white, would all be equal in that land. And he said, the heat, um, he dreamt that the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. So his hunger for justice and righteousness became a community's hunger for justice and righteousness. And he was so captivated by this vision of the kingdom of God, like we've been talking about, that he gave his life to hunger and thirst for a world where this became the reality in the here and now, and a vision which ultimately cost him his life. So I wonder how you feel this morning, how you feel this week when it comes to hungering and thirsting for this life of righteousness. Can we say like David that we hunger and thirst for God, that our whole being longs for the living God in a dry and parched land where there's no water? Or if we're honest, do we feel a bit ambivalent? Maybe you're here at church because it's just part of the routine. Maybe you once had quite a close relationship with God, but it's a bit dry now. Or maybe you're someone who's never actually said yes to God in the first place. I know for myself, before I was pondering and thinking about this talk, that I've been pondering this question for quite a while of how can I be more hungry for God and the things of God? 
I've been asking, how can I increase my hunger? I want to be hungry for God week after week, day after day. How can we in our community be hungry for God and his righteousness? How can our kids and our youth be hungry for God and his ways in this world? And so as I've been prepping and pondering this talk, I've been asking God this question, what does it mean to be hungry? How can we, how can we be more hungry for you? And I felt like he's really laid this on my heart as I've been pondering this question. And here's what I felt he's, he's laid on my heart. So in the way that, that physical hunger and thirst are driven by our emptiness, in the same way, our spiritual hunger and thirst needs to be driven by an acknowledgement of our emptiness. And of course, this links to some of the earlier Beatitudes that we've been digging into, doesn't it? So Rich um, spoke on a couple of the, um, the first two so blessed are the poor in spirit. So blessed are you when you recognize your spiritual poverty and emptiness. And blessed are those who mourn. So blessed are you when you see the brokenness in yourself and in the world and you deeply mourn for that reality. So before we finish, I just want to... Um, just outline some of the, the ways that I've been pondering that we can be increasing our hunger. And so first of all, I'm going to talk about how we can empty ourselves and then how we can fill our lives with the things that will truly satisfy. So first of all, we're going to empty ourselves. And so instead of Instead of actively taking this consuming, this filling ourselves that we've been talking about, instead we actively empty. And so first of all, in terms of some of the ways that we can go about emptying ourselves, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I think we need to get intentional about emptying ourselves of sin and shame. Being weighed down by guilt and sin and shame are some of the things that can actually cause us to fuel our hunger for the things in the world that don't bring satisfaction, basically. It's almost like guilt and sin and shame can cause us to hide from God, can't they? And so this is one of the reasons why we have corporate times of confession and repentance here at All Saints so that we can mourn our sins and the sins of the world and come back into this right relationship with God. Um, I was recently um, on a day retreat, um, took myself off for the day, and if I'm honest, I was feeling pretty dry as I went off. And, do you know, the very first thing I felt like God prompted me to do was to spend this chunk of time in confession, and I don't mean just like little confessions of, oh, I, and I was shouting at the kids, although, of course, those things are all really important. It was kind of deep confession of, 
God, I'm so sorry for where I've been proud and for where I've been self-sufficient. And it was this time of deeply mourning my sin. And do you know what? As I emptied myself of sin, I recognized my emptiness without God and therefore my need for him. And it's like my hunger and my thirst just welled up inside me. And of course, the great news is that every time we turn to God and say sorry, he is there, isn't he, with his arms open wide, ready with grace and forgiveness. And so secondly, we, I think we need to get intentional about starving ourselves of the things that are dominating our appetites. So we've talked, haven't we, about how social media, how food and drink and any number of other things can be our go-to when we're feeling lonely or scared or ashamed. But of course, that these things never satisfy. And sometimes, so that we can wake up to to these appetites, sorry, it's often helpful, even just for a time, to deny ourselves of these things that are dominating our appetites. So after Christmas, like many others, I'm sure some of you, I did dry January. Anyone else did dry January? Just a couple. Um, (laughs) There's a few people who look at me like, no way. (laughs) But you know what? Even just this tiny little denial um, of my appetites just felt like it made me just a little bit sharper and a little bit hungrier and thirstier around the things of God. And some of you might know, may have noticed that Lent is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And of course, this is a time where Christians remember that time that Jesus, as we talked about earlier, spent in the wilderness fasting as he prepared for his ministry here on earth. And often this is a time where Christians are invited to live simply. There'll often be some sort of self-denial, maybe giving up chocolate, which is the thing that everybody always thinks about, isn't it? Or any number of other things. But it can also be a time of taking things up, maybe a Lent devotional, or often there's this term almsgiving, where people will give intentionally to the world. And so what a great opportunity, I think. What a great opportunity for us as individuals, but also as a church, to, to sharpen our, um, yeah, our appetites for less of a hunger for the world and more of a hunger for the things of God. And secondly, let's look, as we empty ourselves out of some of these things. Let's look at how instead we can fill our lives with the things that will truly satisfy. And I've got three things that I'm going to whiz through before we pray. So first of all, let's fill our lives with food that is good for the soul. So Ezekiel 3.3 says, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And of course, thinking again about Jesus' testing in the wilderness, 
he says when, when the devil tries to tempt him to turn the stones into bread, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see in each example that it's the word of God that truly satisfies. But also we see that we have to be active agents in this process. We have to choose to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then as we start to realize and remember again that his words are as sweet as honey, that's when our hunger can often start to grow. So secondly, I think we need to fill our attention with a vision of the kingdom of God. And so in a world that is trying to grab our attention, to to make money by, by grabbing our attention and by encouraging us to focus on ourselves and our own needs, let's be countercultural. Let's be people who instead give our attention away to the world, to the needs of the world. Let's be people who look up from our screens long enough to notice the needs of our family and friends and neighbours. And let's be people who, who choose to give our attention to the broken world long enough to see its needs, to hear the stories like we were talking about earlier in Turkey of suffering and pain. And lastly, let's hunger and thirst for our lives to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. And what do I mean by that? I'm aware that there are some people around who may be um, newer to the community. And so when we turn to Jesus and say yes to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, to empower us to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do. But we're also encouraged to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we look at the book of Acts, we see that again and again, the followers of Jesus were empowered by the Holy Spirit over and over to do the things that he was asking them to do. And as many of you will know, when we experience this encounter with the Spirit of God, we experience his love and his grace and his peace in a tangible way, just like we read about in the um, Hebridean revival. And this experience makes us naturally hunger and thirst for the things of God. Being filled with the Spirit is the well that will equip and empower us to be part of this project restoration that we were talking about, to be restored people who restore the world. But we have to be active agents in this process. We have to choose to go in on that. We have to sometimes step out of our comfort zone to encounter the Holy Spirit and say yes to him. But my experience in my own life and watching people's lives around me is that these encounters change everything. And so we're going to pray. And so I would love to invite you, if you're able, to stand now as we do that.
So as the band come up, um, if you've got kids that you need to pick up, um, I'm sure they can hold them for a couple of minutes, but if you are worried about the time, feel free to slip out and grab them. Rich is going to join me. Um, but let's just have a few moments of coming before God as we ponder what we've heard this 